Father, we desire that to be close to you, to be near to you, to know that you are near to us. Father, that when we trust our lives in you, that when we put our lives in your hands, Father, that you are close by and never depart from us, never leave us, never forsake us, never forget about us, Father. Lord, we live in a world full of broken promises. We live in a world where people will say that they're going to do something and then they don't. But we know that you are always good on all of your promises. That when you say that you will always be close to us, you always will. And Father, that no matter what happens in our lives, if we have a commitment to you, a covenant relationship with you, that there is no nothing that can pull you away from us, Father. And Lord, we rejoice in that. Father, one of the things that doesn't push you away, but one of the things that pushes us away, that encourages us to forget about you, is when we make mistakes, when we sin, when we err, when we give in to our brokenness, to our rebellion. And Father, when we do that, it, it, it makes us feel like you are distant, even when you are still right there. Father, one of the ways that we can eliminate that is just to be able to go to you and ask for forgiveness for, from our sins, from our mistakes, anything that's entangling us and keeping us away from being with you. Father, we're just going to take a moment right now, each of us individually, to go to you, ask for forgiveness. Let's just do this right now. Father, forgive us of those things, Lord, and we thank you that we are able to come this morning to worship you, to put all of our cards on the table for you to see. Father, not holding anything back, but just going to you and, Father, saying we are broken. Remake us in your image. Father, we're here this morning, and we thank you that we are able to come worship you with all of our hearts, with all of our intensity, Father, to know you and grow in relationship with you. Father, we ask this morning that you would just fill this place with your Holy Spirit. Father, that your Spirit would drive us forward in relationship with you and into our community. Lord, that they may see the light in our lives in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You do understand English. This isn't that complex. Look, the cafeteria's down the hall, to the right, and downstairs. Hey, is that a new kid or something? Napoleon, this is Pedro. Would you mind showing him where his locker is? Sure. Come on. You know, there's like a buttload of gangs at this school. This one gang kept wanting me to join because I'm pretty good with the bow staff. Did you ride the bus to school? No. I ride my bike. What kind of bike do you have? It's a sledgehammer. Dang. You got shocks, pegs, lucky. You ever take it off any sweet jumps? You got like three feet of air that time. Can I try it really quick? Hey, hey. Oh. 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 
why is it that we run, whenever we run into fences, that we end, always end up hurting ourselves, right? Um, you know, the, the funny part of that clip is the fact that, you know, it's not really that big of a jump, and yet he still ends up hurting himself, right? And the thing is, is that as we go through life, we encounter fences that as Christians, we want to jump over when we get into a bad spot in life, when we face struggles, right? But the problem is those fences are often painful, right? Those fences often disrupt our lives, often mess them up. And so today we're going to continue our series on testing the limits and seeing that maybe making some sweet jumps in our lives isn't really all it's cracked up to be and in fact can really be quite painful when we encounter these issues, these fences in our lives. Well, I'm going to explain this fence idea if you weren't here last week, but in this movie clip we see what happens when we go a little bit too far. Napoleon went too far. Of course, I say that ironically tongue-in-cheek, right? Um, and so when we go too far as believers, then a lot of times it can be painful for us, even if we don't think the fence is so big, even if it's a smaller fence. Well, our series that we've been doing, this mini-series, is testing the limits, right? Because we were thinking about this, and as we were uh, coming off Easter and just doing some different topics and different ideas, one of the things that people always ask is, well, Pastor, how do I know what's too far? I mean, how do I know what's sin and what's outside of God's plan for my life, and how do I know what's okay, right? And one of the things that we face a lot of times as believers is the tendency to do what? If we feel like this is a fence that we should not cross, even on a good day, we tend to snuggle up right close to that fence and get as close to that fence as we can. And in other days, when we have bad days, we do what? We jump over the fence and run as fast as we can to Vegas and just, you know, do whatever we want, right? So testing the limits. Uh, are we called as Christians to test the limits, or is this something that we don't want to do as believers? Our two-week mini-series kind of asks the question, how far is too far? And I realized that I had a really awesome idea until the end of this message. <laughs> and then it falls apart, because the problem is, is that we can never really define or say definitively, well, we can, but when we try to work it out in the day-to-day -day minutia of our lives, that's when it becomes a real challenge, right? So I was easy sailing until the end of this message, and then I realized I'm hitting minutia, and uh, you, can, you know, this is unsolvable quandary as long as we are alive in this world. But how far is too far? So we're going to take this idea up. Let me just recap a little bit from last week. We talked about the fact that a lot of people in our world view God, um, when I say a lot of people in our world, a lot of people in the Western world who are raised in the shadow of Christianity. They think God is a God who is just willing to forgive, and as long as they're a good person, basically, that it's okay. I mean, like when you Google permissiveness, uh, this website came up, the great not permissive, the great permissive dude in the sky who lets us do whatever we want, right? And so a lot of people, especially a lot of people who are generically Christian, um, they view God this way, that God is just this guy that lets them do whatever they want, and they get their get-out-of-hell ticket for free um, because Jesus died for them. But is there more to it than just that? We also talked about, oh, this is our strategy. Last week, let me, before we get to the, what we also talked about, so this is the issue. Then we have this issue of, is God a great permissive dude in the sky, or is it more important than we sometimes put an emphasis on for us not to test the limits of our life in this world, but instead to go to God and to allow God to be the arbiter, allow God to be the source of what we uh, look for in life, the actions that we take, the decisions that we make. 
Last week we talked about setting up the boundaries. And here's what we did last week. We talked about the fact, and we talked from Galatians 5, about how when we become a believer, that there are fences that we will encounter in our lives. But we talked about the fact that really, um, a lot of times we think about it as we become a believer, right? And we, we come in, we start going through life. We wake up at Monday morning, okay, from our Sunday morning conversion experience, right? And what happens is, is that we start encountering conflict. Because suddenly we are no longer uh, at peace with ourselves. We're at war with ourselves, right? Because there's God on one side pulling us towards holy living. And then there's our own sinful self pulling us towards living the way that we want to, right? Our own sinfulness and our own selfishness and our own brokenness. And what happens is we talked about the fact that sometimes it feels like we have these sinful fences on every side of us. Three-dimensional all the way around. We're totally enclosed with these fences, right? And so when we have a bad day, instead of going toward God, we say, hmm, you know, I haven't gotten drunk in a long time, so I'm just going to jump out of this fence, go and drink like it's, you know, 1999, right? And so what happens is we go and we do this, right? And the problem is, though, is that when we encounter this, we have crossed a boundary. We talked last week, though, about that really that's not the right idea for what the boundary is, because really, when we stand here as a believer, there are these tall fences, and we're going to talk about that in a second, but there's these tall fences that God says, look, don't cross over these fences, because these are not the direction that I want you to go, because it's damaging for your life above all else, right? But that when we look back towards God, we see an infinite amount of freedom in who He is, right? We have a tremendous amount of freedom of who God is. We talked last week about the fact that we can pray as much as we want to, right? But we decided that was kind of what? Boring, right? Because we don't feel the freedom. Our world has conditioned us to avoid the freedoms of God and instead look for those fences um, that seem exciting in our world. So we set up the boundaries, and we talked about from Galatians 5 how, for example, uh, well, murder is not, Anger is mentioned in Galatians 5, not murder itself. But we talked about how jealousy and sexual immorality and lack of purity and all these things, right, are mentioned in Galatians 5. And these are like the big fences that when you're a believer, if you, instead of embracing all this freedom that God has for you, that you keep running towards the big fences, that these big fences are going to damage you and they're going to destroy you. So we talked about setting up those boundaries. I'm going to use this idea of fence um, somewhat today. So let me just say this again. I'm using the word fence to describe these boundaries, these guidelines in your Bible. A lot of times they'll use the word law. These laws that God has that says don't cross because it's damaging to you. It's damaging to your friends, your neighbors. It's damaging to me because you're rebelling against me. These things don't work in your life, okay? And so we all can sort of sense where the big fences are, where the tall fences are. But today what we're going to talk about is these little fences that crop up in our lives. What do we do with the little fences? Because I know some of you are going to sit here and you're going to tell me, Pastor, I've been a Christian for a long time, and when I look at Galatians 5, I don't really struggle with any of these things. Well, okay, <laughs> yeah, I know. I want to be a little bit sarcastic and say, well, congratulations, you've arrived. Tell me how to get there, you know. Uh, but on the other hand, there are, there, I, I, having heard debate on this from both sides, there are definitely people who have sort of been, been a Christian for a long time, and their, their tradition, their culture, and everything has really kind of moved them away from at least the idea of the bigger fences, right? And so the thing is, is that, is that, though, have they arrived? I mean, are they holy? Are, are they 
good now, or is there little fences that crop up all the time? Well, we're going to talk about this today. Let me just mention, though, last week we talked about sin. Sin is not, just as a recap again, sin is not doing wrong. It is anything outside of God's guidelines for your life. Someone asked me during the week, I don't understand because I always thought sin meant doing something wrong. And I said, well, it's not that it's not that. Um, that's only a partial definition. Really, anything that's outside of God's guidelines for your life, the Bible defines as sin. So sin, for example, is forgetting to pray, read the Bible, not giving to those in need, having an affair. That's a classic big fence, right? Being hateful, jealous of coworkers, and so much more. These are all examples of sinfulness that incurs in our lives. Anything that's not a part of God's will for us. So we're going to see what the Bible says. This is, a, this is not an easy passage. Again, I know that for the last couple of months we've been doing some difficult passages, but it's Romans 7, um, 14 through 25. If you want to turn there, um, you're welcome to. It's going to be up on the big screen as well. Let's look at Romans 7, 14 through 25. Okay, so here's Paul speaking, and he's speaking about this battle. Remember last week we talked about the battle that goes on in our lives, the conflict between our sinful nature and the Holy Spirit, right? So Paul... Um, brings out this idea and talks about this. Now, the interesting thing about Paul is that when you read chapter 7 in isolation from the rest of Romans, it sounds like Paul is <laughs> losing. It sounds like he is having a, a terrible time with his sinfulness, right? And it's very easy for us in our world today to make Paul and the other people in the Bible to end to be saints rather than real people who struggled with real sin in their lives. Paul was no different. He struggled with real sin in his lives as well. Sometimes the church likes to say, oh, this is Paul reflecting on himself before he became a believer, but this is not true. This is him really struggling as an apostle of all people, right? Someone who literally saw Jesus, right, on the Damascus Road, and here he is struggling with these fences in his life because he keeps running over fences. So what hope does that give us? Well, we're going to talk about that in a second. Here's what Paul says. So the trouble, this is Romans 7, so the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. Remember that the word law is probably not the best English idea for what God's rules and guidelines and his, really his plan is for our lives. So the trouble is not with God's guidelines, for it is spiritual and it is good. It really means of the spirit. In other words, it comes directly from him. The trouble is with me, Paul, as a person, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is my sinful nature. Let me go back because I'm not going to pick this up later. It is sin living in me that does it. He's not saying that it's in there. He's not saying that he doesn't do it. He doesn't have blame or culpability of it. He's basically saying that, listen, if I were given a neutral chance, right, if my inner heart and my inner spirit were, were on a level playing field where I could freely choose to follow God or to follow sin, he says, I would follow God, right, because my eyes have been opened and I know that God is good and I would follow him. However, we do not live on a level playing field. We don't. If When you go to work on Monday, is it a level playing field? No. Nobody works that way, right? We all have people who we, who we think or we know has gotten a perk. We also know people who, no matter what they do, are never going to get a raise, never going to move up in their careers, right? It's not a level playing field. In the same way, Paul's saying our lives are not level playing fields. They're already weighted against us because of our brokenness 
and our rebellion against God. Okay, so that's what he means there. So he's not saying that he doesn't bear culpability. He's saying that it is the sin that, that, that messes up everything that is doing it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I don't want to do what, if I, but if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin and live, oh, I'm sorry, I went back a slide. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. So let me just pause there because even I got tripped up, you know, on the, I went back a slide, right? And so I, re I repeated a few verses there because it's confusing, right? Because the problem is you've got this constant battle. You've got this war, right, between God's spirit. If you're a believer, you've got this constant battle, this constant war going on between God's spirit living in your life and then your own sinfulness, right? And it does get confusing. It's a back and forth tug of war that goes on all the days that we live, right? Why do we want to be Christians? That's a question I asked last week, because if we're not a believer, there's no conflict, right? You get up in the morning, there's no conflict, right? Of course, I'm being facetious in a way because we want to, because God calls us to, and of course, uh, benefits and just so much else of being right with God. But anyway, that's a question. I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. All right. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Christ Jesus our Lord, right? So I have to say this because one of the things in our culture is that being a Christian should be like awesome and exciting, but there's also a very miserable component to it, right? And so when I watch people on TV who talk about how that everything should be perfect in our lives once we accept Jesus and give money to their ministry, it always makes me cringe because I know that at best, at best, that's only half the answer. At worst, it's something a little bit more devious. But here's Paul saying, I am miserable because of the conflict that's in my life, right? So if you're a believer here today, and I said this a couple weeks ago, and there's not a miserableness in your life, then there's a problem there because the battle is, something's wrong with the battle. There should be a battle in your life every day over whether you're serving the Lord and how much you're serving the Lord and your own sinful, selfish desires, right? Now, I know this is not a fun topic, but it's true. There should be a battle that goes on in our lives. Okay, three ideas that we're going to talk about this morning, uh, not as all as unpleasant as that. First idea, if you want to follow along in your handouts, is this. Is that God's guidelines are always good. This is the principle that we're going to start with today because when we look at what Paul says here is that he is basically telling us, listen, that if we want to hang our hat on something, I mean, if there's something in our lives that we just want to say, look, this is the best that I can find. This is the thing that I'm willing to, to, to base my life on. It's the fact that God's guidelines for us are good, right? I mean, when we try to find a guideline in our life, if we were trying to find a principle, an ideal, something like that in our lives, um, with which to operate and to run our day-to-day -day lives, we would want what? The best that we could find, right? Um, if somebody told you as a principle that you should go and spend as much money as you can and get in as much debt as you can, um, as fast as you can, right? And don't worry about, you know, people who call you and want you to pay back the credit cards and debts and that sort of thing, that you just go and spend as much money as you possibly can, would that be a good principle for your life? Okay. 
For those of you that, that are not sure about that, that would not be a good principle for your life, right? Um, those of you who are hesitant to say, hmm, is this a trick question? No, it's not. It's not a good principle for your life. In the same way, when we talk about principles for our lives, God's guidelines, his principles are the highest good, are the best things that we can have in our lives. This is what we want to strive for. We want to figure out what his guidelines are and put them in place in our lives. Since God is good, his guidelines must also be good as well, right? Um, th- this is the thing. We know, even if, we're, even if you're here today and you're not a believer, um, you know that God is good. I mean, that's just a basic general principle of the nature of who God is, right? So if God is good, then his desire for us also is equally good. As Christians, we believe God is the highest good in a way, right? I mean, he is completely 100% fully good. He is the highest possible good that any of us could ever understand, any of us could ever approach. For our entire world, God is the greatest good that exists, right? So, it is very easy then as believers for us to understand that if God is the greatest good, then his principles, his guidelines for us are also the greatest good that we may encounter in our world. We can go, and we can go to self-help gurus, we can go to Deepak Chopra, Oprah, somebody like that, and they will give us guidelines or principles for our lives, but those guidelines and principles, by definition, can never be as good as God's guidelines for us, right? Because his guidelines come from him, and since he is the greatest source of good in our world, his guidelines, his laws, are also the greatest source of good in our lives. So since God is good, his guidelines must be good. Now, this is something that is really exciting. This is something that we can take hold of. It may feel boring at times, but it's something that we can take hold of because we know that we can trust that when God tells us to do something, it's for our greater good. Let me give two examples of the problem that we face here with this, though. Let's say that we're a believer, and using the example from last week, uh, we are invited to a party um, where... uh, 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 you know, uh, work party where there's lots of drinking and lots of good times to be had, and we don't take our, we're told, you know, leave your wife there, you know, uh, leave her at home, you know, the guys are going to go out, we're going to, you know, do some stuff, you know, some of the secretaries from work are going to come, and it's just going to be a lot of fun, right? And so the thing is, is that we may think about this, and we may say, wow, you know, that would be tempting for me to do, But at the same time, when we think about what is good and what is right in our lives, we say, well, what good can come of this? And we look at God's principles, right? And we talked about last week, Galatians 5, you know, we should not go in for wild partying and that sort of thing. And so we may say at that first first blush that this is a big fence. And so because we know that God is good, we're going to trust in him and we're not going to go, right? Even though our sinfulness will encourage us to go or tempt us to go, we step back for a second, because we're believers, we step back for a second, and we say, okay, you know, I know that God is good, and so I'm going to trust that his plan for me is better than that, so I'm not going to go. How about this, though? See, that's an easy one. Let's pick a little bit. Let's pick a little bit more difficult one. Let's say your boss comes to you and says, "Listen, Douglas, um, I want you to go back into an email that I sent and change the date on it. Just make the date one day earlier." 
And that way we avoid any legal complications of what this other employee did. Just change the date on it. And if you do, you know, your, your, your job at this company is going to just really skyrocket. And you know what? The, the thing is, changing the date doesn't really hurt anybody. It just makes us, you know, the, the insurance companies, you know, it's more crystal clear for them. Just change the date. It's no big deal, right? What do we do there? See, the problem is, in that situation, is that we're thinking about, well, this is not going to hurt anybody. This, is, this seems okay to me. And because it's not a really big, tall fence, what do we do? We don't immediately jump to, is God's guideline in this situation the greatest good, or am I on my own? Am I on my own to make the best ethical decision there? If you can even have a human ethical decision, right? How do we decide at that situation, at that point, what is the right thing to do? Now, even that one's not terribly difficult. Although, I would argue that we face those kind of situations in our day-to-day lives, right? Where we're called on to tell little white lies and to do jump little white fences all the time, right? And the problem is, though, is that when we're trying to figure out whether or not to do it or not, are we looking to ourselves for the answer, or are we looking to God for the answer? And more specifically, if God's guidelines are the, the sole source of good, then is it not true that every decision that we make should be held up in light of his guidelines for our lives? Now, doing that, saying it's easy, doing that is quite a bit difficult. Let's talk about this a little bit more, because this is the challenge that we're going to face as we try to live our lives in this world as believers. Listen, even our own guilt testifies that God's rules are best. I love what Paul says here. I'm going to try to find it real quick. He says, um, uh, let's see. All right, I can't find it. But he says here somewhere um, that when, when we do what is wrong, even our own wrongness testifies that God's rules are best for our lives. Well, let me see if I can find it. I don't really understand for myself for what I want to do is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that, I am, that what I'm doing is wrong, here it is. But if I know that I, what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree the law is good, right? So here's the thing. If we are there at work and the guys say, come on, let's go. We're going to go to this party. It's going to be a lot of carousing and a lot of other stuff, right? If it feels a little bit questionable in our minds, what does it demonstrate? Well, it demonstrates two things. First and most importantly, it demonstrates that there is a higher guideline. There is a better guideline that you have access to, right? That tweaking is, I mean, conscious is a part of it, but it's also God's Holy Spirit in your life revealing to you that there's a greater guideline. Listen, if you encounter the second situation where you're there at work, Somebody asks you, just change the date on the email so we can get the forms processed. doesn't hurt anybody. And you're weighing this idea. It testifies that God's law is there and good. Why? Because if not, you would just do it. You would just do it, right? Because it helps you. It helps the company. Why not just do it? It wouldn't be a battle. There wouldn't be a fight. You would just do it. The fact that we struggle and the fact that there is a struggle clearly demonstrates that there is God's guidelines in our lives as believers and that those guidelines are good. Why? 
Because the more bad, and I'm using this in a very general sense, but the bigger the fence, the more bad the issues we struggle with, the more what we have. Well, guilt, for one thing, right? I mean, if we do something really horrendous, we're going to suffer a what? A tremendous amount of guilt and a tremendous amount of bad feelings about breaking God's law, right? Now, we're going to talk about this because a lot of those feelings are dependent upon of certain variables that occur in our lives. But even our own guilt testifies that God's rule are best. So here's the thing. This is the only thing I want you to take away from this point. We'll build on this. But the only thing I want you to take away from this point is this, is that God's guidelines are good, okay? His rules and his plan for your life represent the highest possible good for your life, period, okay? Now, the, the beauty of that is, is that if you have a standard, if you have a something to stand on, if you have something that you know is good, then it allows you to measure everything else in your life by that standard, doesn't it? It does, right? If you are out there just in a chaotic mess of ethics and not sure what to do, not sure how to live your life, it would be impossible for you to ever figure out what is good and what is right. But if we have a starting place, we have a, 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 a place where we can begin, where we can start from, which is God guidelines, then we are able to then go into our lives and produce good, not because of our own power, but because of God working in us. This is the thing. This is Kronk, right? Everybody knows Kronk, right? And so the thing is, is that he has like the good angel, and he has like the bad angel, right? And they're always wrestling with him, which represents in a sort of the Disney way, the conflict that goes on um, in our lives. But here's the thing. This falls apart where? It falls apart because the problem is, is that the good and the bad are not trying to be friendly and talk it out, right? They are at constant war in our lives. We don't need a good angel to tell us where to be. We just need to know where God's standard lies. And if we know that, we are able to figure out from that point where to go from that it, it, throughout our lives. Let me say this again, because this is very nuanced, but very, very important. If we can understand God's basic principle, which is fully good, then it allows for us to work backwards from that principle to know what to do in our lives. All right, so if God calls us to be holy and to be righteous, all right, he calls us to be this, he calls us to be that, we look at all the things that God wants us to be in our lives, then we take that, and when we encounter a situation in our lives, we apply that, and we figure out from that point, from God's good principle, where we're supposed to go. Let me move on, because I want to I pick up this idea. Anything not of God is always bad. I'm kind of coming at it sideways, and then I'm going to come at it from another, the other sideways direction. Anything not of good, not of God, is always bad. Okay, now, why did I choose the word anything as the underline here? Why did I choose the word anything as the underline? <coughs> because when you get right down to it, here's the thing. Let's say we have tall fences, right? We see those tall fences last week. We're struggling with how do we live our lives so as not to test the limits? How do we live our lives so that we're not always asking how far is too far? How do we live our lives so that we are pleasing to God, right? Okay, and so we see these big fences, right? And so we know that going to the party with our coworkers is not, that's a big fence. We're not going to do that, right? We know that God doesn't want us to do that. But the problem is, is that we encounter what? All these little fences. Should I change the date on the email? Should I speed, right? Should I run red lights? We encounter all these little things that as we become a believer, 
you know, trips us up where we wonder whether or not we should do this. You know, if I have a boyfriend, um, you know, should I sleep with him, but we don't, you know, um, all right, keep this PG, sorry. Uh, should, should I, should I uh, stay at his place even though nothing's going to happen, right? Or is this too close? Where, you know, is this over the line? And by butting right up against the line, where am I at, right? Well, w- the more I thought about this, the more we have to say and go at it back from here and then come back and meet in the middle is that anything not of God is always bad. So if something is not of God, is it sometimes bad? No, it must be always bad. You see, if God is always good, right, and his principles and guidelines are always good, then anything that is separate or apart from God is always bad. If you pray about something, if you pray, I'm just going to use a crazy example because sometimes people ask me this, If you pray about what color to paint your kitchen walls and you feel the color is green and you do gold, right, then what? You've sinned because you did something apart from God's will, from what he wanted you to do. Now, here's the thing. Does God care about the color of your kitchen walls? Probably not, okay? But I use that as a a very crazy example Because anything that we do apart from God's will is ultimately bad for us. Even if it's a small, small thing, where do we as Christians lose the battle in our day-to-day lives? Now, this is a subject of debate. Because some of you will tell me, well, Pastor, I think most Christians lose the day-to-day battle in their lives over big things. I think they go along and they're just kind of blasé about life, and then they go and they have an affair, and then that, that's the it. You know, forget God, forget church, forget anything like that. That's it, right? But the problem is, as a pastor, I probably would disagree. Because, I, you know, I see the little battles take the toll on people over and over again, right? Because what they do is, is that, and I say they, I mean, include me in here too. But what we do is, we, we go in through life and we just give in a little bit. And then we give in a little bit more. And we know that we shouldn't change the email's date, but we do, right? Because our boss has asked us to. We know our job's on the line, so we do. And then next week, we do it again, and we do it again, and we do it again. And maybe it's something different. But these little fences keep tripping us up to the point where we're always, what? Sort of on our face at the feet of the fence rather than moving towards God, right? The problem is, is that if anything that is not of God is always bad, then we surround ourselves a lot of times as believers with these things that always keep tripping us up, right? I, I really want to say this again because I feel like, I feel like that, mo- that a lot of Christians I meet, and this is just demographically, not meaning necessarily anyone here, but just in general, is that there is a lack of realization about how damaging the little things are in their lives and how those little things snowball into becoming bigger and bigger problems. Right? Am I close to something? Some of you feel the same way maybe? Anything not of God is always bad. And so if we start with God's standard, our goal is not to snuggle up against these fences, right? Whether they're the big tall fences or the little white fences, right? but to go and be, embrace God's standard for our lives. 
to take that and hold on to that and stand on that. Anything not of God is always bad. Listen, let me see if I can, this, this passage is difficult. Let me just work through it until I find it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. There it is. Okay, and I know that nothing good lives in me, right? Because everything that we battle over is going to originate really from two places. Where does everything in our world originate from? Everything in our world originates either from God or from us. Okay, now some of you will cite the enemy. Let's leave that out. That's a special case. We're not going to argue about that today. All right, but really everything in our world either originates from God or it originates from ourselves, right? But we as people cannot produce what? Anything good, right? The only good that comes into our life is from God. That is, he is the only true source of good. And so if we want to have good in our lives rather than bad, then we have to grab hold of him, take his standard for our lives, hold on to him, and allow him to be that source of good. Let's just move on here. When we turn away from God, we run into tall fences, right? This is what happens. So if we become a Christian, there's a spiritual conflict in our lives, something happens. Is that something a big fence or a little fence? I don't know. That's a debate, right? But something happens, and we turn away from God. What do we hit? We're going to run into tall fences, right? We're going to go, we're going to rebel, we're going to do things that we know that we shouldn't do, and we're going to run into tall fences. Do fences lead to other fences? I would think yes. I would think that fences would lead to other fences, right? That if we jump one fence, what's the big deal about jumping another fence? I mean, it's not like, I'll try to keep this PG. It's not like that if I go out and drink too much that it's, that it's no way possible it's going to lead to me doing stuff with other people inappropriately, right? That's never happened. Never happened, right? Doesn't happen. So the problem is fences a lot of times do lead to other fences, right? We jump one fence and we see another fence nearby and we say, okay, sweet jump, let's do it, right? I caught three feet of air on that one, right? Awesome. When we turn away from God, we run into tall fences. But here's the bigger issue for us today. Oh, let me just, I'm sorry, i got to develop this for those who weren't here last week. Here's some example of tall fences. This is what we talked about last week, Galatians 5. So Paul lists some big fences, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these, right? These are the tall fences. Now we talked about last week that sometimes we don't realize that these are tall fences. Let me just pick one I didn't pick last week, but which is division, right? I mean, I know personally lots of people who have destroyed churches just by running their mouths, right? That's a big sin. That's a tall fence, right? It's a tall fence. Some of us also know people like that, right? And so the thing is, is that sometimes we don't know that they're tall fences, but these are tall fences because they do a lot of damage. Sorcery does a lot of damage. Division does a lot of damage. Sexual immorality does a lot of damage, right? Fences lead to fences, but do they start with big fences or do they start with small fences? This is where you got to have to think about it in your life because for some of us, the Lord, some, for some of us, let me not start from that direction. For some of us, our sinfulness will go after us over and over again with big fences. It will. But for some of us, we are going to be over, if we lose the battle, it's because we're going to be overwhelmed with little fence after little fence after little fence. Yet, why do we keep bumping into little fences? 
I mean, the thing is, is that if, if, if you're here today and you say, well, pastor, I look at that list from Galatians 5, and I really don't believe that that applies to me. I really don't, and okay, fine, for the sake of argument, okay, not to say that you're immune from those big fences, but let's say you're not actively struggling with, you see all those big fences and you're not, you're not jumping over them just yet. All of us still encounter these small fences all the time. Why do we bump into them? Why do we run over small fences? Why are we tripped up by small fences? Why not just avoid them like the bigger fences? Why is that? Let me see if we can talk about this. Even as faithful Christians, we can never live up to our deepest spiritual belongings. One theologian said that, uh, deepest the spiritual longings. And I really like this idea, right? Because the problem is, is that w- as we go through life, we continue to struggle with these small fences that, that, that trip us up. And even though we, as Paul said, we long to be like God. I mean, we want to be holy like he is, right? The thing is, is that we just never can seem to live up to it, right? We can never seem to achieve it. I mean, Paul says, I am miserable. So even though we're faithful, these small fences continue to trip us up. What are we supposed to do about it? What are we supposed to do about it? The more we as Christians move away from sin, the more sin we realize there is to move away from, right? I mean, like the example I gave last week of my friend um, who was uh, active in the homosexual lifestyle, right, in, in Southern California, and he basically, he was uh, tempted to, by a friend uh, to go to church and just see how it would be to, to make a mockery of it, right? And he went to church, and after, after going there for a few months, he became a believer, and after a few more months, he went to his pastor and said, you know, I'm living a gay lifestyle. Is this what God wants for me? And his pastor said, no, you know, it's not. So the question is, as we, as Christians, we move away from sin, the more sin we realize that there is to move away from. We keep seeming to find this additional sin that's in our lives. Why? Because our heart just keeps producing this brokenness. Our heart keeps producing this rebellion against God, and it makes it so that we are always encountering these little fences. Let me just move on here. How do we tell short fences from a gray area? Is there a gray area? I mean, if all that is from God is good, right? If all of his guidelines for us is good, and everything that produces in our heart is gray, is there anything, is there anything, is there anything, just give the, give me a second. Is there anything that's a gray area? That's a question that I have, right? Because we used a silly example earlier of, the, uh, of painting the kitchen walls, you know? And, and, and I, for one, I don't want to over-spiritualize things, right? Because we asked the question earlier, you know, should we paint the wall green? Should we paint it gold? You know, and the thing is, is that, you know, does, we can ask the question, does God care about what color our walls are, right? But yet at the same time, if all that is within us is bad and all that is within God is good, is there a gray area? Or does every decision that we make have a standard by which God desires us to live? Well, I don't have an answer to that question. Because again, some of you will say, well, what about when it comes time to pick out a car? 
Do I pick out a Toyota? Do I pick out a Nissan? Do I pick out a Ford? Say they're all the same price. That's a gray area, right? It seems to be a gray area. But the problem is, is that if we really delve into this issue, a lot of times things that we consider to be gray, are they not sometimes just little white fences in disguise? Because it's easy for us when our boss asks us to just change the date, it's not going to hurt anything. Just change the date in the email. Make it seem like we received, we sent the email yesterday, not today, right? We change the date. We want to say in our mind that it's what? A gray area. It's okay, right? Because what does it, difference does it make to God whether or not this company gets the money or this company gets the money, right? But yet, if we look into our hearts and there's any type of conflict, then that would indicate to us that it's a fence. Could we say, and this is a question, could we say that any decision that we make that involves any type, that, that in our hearts evokes any type of emotional or spiritual or intellectual discussion is not a gray area? Could we say that? Could we say that any anything in our lives that evokes some type of conflict, no matter how small it may be or one-sided it may be, is something that's not great? If there's a conflict over a decision in your life, I would think, by definition, it would have to be, unless it's a, maybe some type of obscure intellectual discussion, maybe, but if it's really a conflict in your life, then I would think that it would have to be based somehow on the conflict that rages in your life over doing what is good and right or doing what is sinful and rebellious, right? All those small fences, those are just the outlines of the conflict that exists in your life as your sinfulness and God's spirit fight each other, right? So we may say, is there a gray area? Well, yes and no, in a sense. Because, yes, there is a gray area because if we decide green or gold, um, then, um, you know what, then that's, that could be a gray area. But you know what the problem is? You know your husband doesn't like green, don't you? Right? So is it really a level playing field with a gray area or not? Are you getting green because he doesn't like it? Are you getting green because you like it and he doesn't like it? Are you getting gold just to satisfy him so he doesn't give you a hard time? It could also be a conflict on the reverse side, right? The problem is, is it seems like to me as we become believers that we see the big fences more clearly, but the small fences will trip us up as well. So what is one of our goals in life should be? As believers, what is one of the things that we probably should do? Now, it's not up there with praying, but it's like a, a secondary thing. What is it? What are some short fences I struggle with, right? Shouldn't we sort of be aware of some of the things that God is, and this Holy Spirit is impressing on us to change in our lives? Let me ask this question. Can you do this list right now? If you cannot do this list right now, something is broken inside of you. And by broken, I don't mean like you're a bad person. I mean broken like either the spirit has given up or you've given up 
or you're not thinking about this, or something's wrong. You, you, there's not, you're not praying, Some, something, something's missing, right? Because in your day-to-day life, as you go to work and as you deal with family, you should be reminded of small fences that you are tripping over. Why can I say this? Because Paul says this, right? The Bible says this over and over again. He says, I constantly do the things I don't want to do. And the things I don't want to do, I do, right? Do you think Paul could make up this list? Do you think he could list some things? Of course, right? Because that's what he's talking about. I'm not making him better than any of us. I'm just saying that he is aware of the brokenness that's in his life. This is the thing that I think Western Christians struggle with, right? Because we don't worry about brokenness enough. We don't worry about sinfulness enough, right? We don't worry about these small fences that we hit. We just joyfully drive 100 miles an hour on the freeway, run as many red lights as we want to, right? Of course, I'm using a silly example, but sort of a true example, too, right? Because we don't think about it. And so there should be, we should, all of us sitting here today, we should be able to look up there and just for a second say, examples of short fences I am currently facing are, what are some things I keep bumping into all the time? What are some things that that I wish God could just get out of my life because I keep doing this stupid thing over and over again. Okay, I've got my few. How about you? Right? The good news is, is that if you can fill this out right off the top of your head, within a few minutes, there's some good news. What's the good news? The good news is that the spiritual conflict in your life is raging full tilt. And you know what that means? That means you're a healthy follower of Jesus. That's what that means. That's what that means. If there is spiritual conflict in your life, it is good because that is what God wants to get rid of the sinfulness in our lives and replace it with his plan and his purpose. Now, I want to put an asterisk because some of us, and and this is a lot of us, uh, struggle with at times in our life defeatism where we continue to do the same thing over and over and over again and then we just we get used to the conflict, right? We don't want to do that. We don't want to get used to the conflict. Uh, I won't ask for examples. I won't mention examples, but I'm sure that in your life, most of us, there's probably been something that's been there for a long time or, or that was there for a long time years ago or whatever the case may be, and you just kind of get used to the conflict. You can't get used to the conflict, okay? You can't accept the conflict. You can't be neutral. You're not neutral, right? We talked about this last week. Whose side are you on? You're on the spirit side, right? You're not neutral. You're a partisan. It's not a level playing field. You and the spirit are fighting uphill against your own sinful brokenness. There's a lot of fences that are going to keep getting thrown in your way. But you know what? The fact that you know that they're there allows you to do what? Take God's standard and apply it and get away, get past, get beyond those fences and back to God. That's what it means, right? Real quickly here, the war we face will end one day. This is, I, I can't end without dealing with this because I don't want people to leave and think, okay, I'm fighting, I'm fighting, what am I fighting for? You know, I know that God wants me to fight, but what am I fighting for? The end we face, the war we face will end one day. The more we follow God, the shorter the fences that we run into, right? This is, this is, this is true to a degree. The, the problem is this is true and not true, and I don't have time to develop this at length. But the thing is, is that the more we follow God, the more we love Him, right, God is going to take some fences out of our lives, right? 
It's going to happen. I mean, I, I think it has to happen if we really follow him. Now, it doesn't mean that there won't be some big fences we'll still struggle with. It doesn't mean that we won't have a multitude of small fences. But if we are following him, at some point, there's going to be a, a some of these big fences that we struggle with in the past are going to be in our past. And they're going to stay in our past, right? The more we follow God, the shorter the fences that we run into. Doesn't mean that we get away from fences. Look, if we really, like let's say today, someone in here decides, I'm going to try to follow God completely, no matter what, just like God asked me to do. I'm going to do it with every ounce of strength that I have, and they're stronger than me and stronger than most of us in here, then what will happen is what? Is it they'll get past some taller fences, they'll leave them behind, they'll walk toward God, right? And then they'll come into some smaller fences and they'll walk past those, right? And the fences will get shorter and shorter, but the problem is, is that they'll never escape fences in this lifetime, right? They'll never seem to get past them because we continue to struggle with them. Um, I personally do not believe a person can be without sin in this life. I know there's some Christian groups that sort of teach that as a possibility. I don't think that's possible. I don't think it's possible to be that. When we struggle, we continue to, to, to have these struggles in life because the sin is in our rebelliousness in our lives is never going to give up. Never going to quit. Never going to give up. Never going to say, hey, everything's okay. It's going to continue to fight until when? Until the day that we pass from this world. Here's what Paul says real quickly as we end. Oh, this doesn't mean that committed followers of Jesus don't see tall fences. I mentioned that. But praise God for the freedom that comes with knowing Jesus. Real quickly as we end here, Paul says this. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. But the answer is in Christ Jesus our Lord, right? Because of this struggle that we have, the answer is in Him. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today, Father, and Lord, if we are struggling, as all of us are, with brokenness and rebellion and testing the limits in our lives, Lord, we know that you are the standard, and we know that if we just simply trust and go to you that you will start to do that repair work in our lives father i pray for all of us here that we would be aware of the short fences in our lives or that we would ask we praying to you asking you to help us get rid of those fences that father that we would live more holy and more victorious lives every single day that we're alive father i pray for everyone in here that they would be aware of those fences so they don't trip them up and damage them but father that they would draw closer to you each day we pray this in Jesus' name.